This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Jimmy Pedro. Thank Good you for being Jordan. How are you doing? Hanging I'm doing in there? great, actually. Busier, busier than uh, I could have ever imagined, which is terrific for our businesses. Um, you know, gyms are starting to open back up. People want to get back to training. Uh, dojos are renovating, expanding, adding new mats. And then the people that have been on lockdown, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of them actually, um, you know, buy stuff for their home gyms and their garages. So it was terrific. Coming at you, my friend. Contact <laughs> buy a house. And uh, I, the, the second I am able, you're going to be getting an email from me. Uh, awesome. for a and before we get into this, I was with a mutual friend. Uh, and a customer of yours, Rich Byrne, who's also been a guest on the podcast. And awesome. I was training in his unbelievable basement gym. I mean, I train there all the time, but we were there just a few days ago and I told him that we were going to be training. We were just talking about his setup and you have carved out quite the niche for yourself with this business. It's a yeah. business. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let me just give you a quick background on what this project is, who I am. So uh, I'm Jordan Edwards. I'm the CEO of Mixology Clothing Company family business. I've uh, been in business for 11 years. My sister and I run that together. We have 12 brick and mortar retail stores and an e-commerce website, uh, about 225 employees. Made it through COVID stronger than when we went in. Thank God. I attribute all of that to my martial arts training. Uh, stick and move and just figure it out. And we, every landlord's paid vendor, service provider, all of our employees are back. Phenomenal little business story in itself. And awesome. also the um, operating partner in a, in a family real estate portfolio. That's just my father and I. Uh, we have about a million square feet of property all over the country, 10 states, and about 400 tenants, all commercial office buildings and strip centers. And it was really through uh, my real estate business and traveling all over the country that uh, exposed me to, to many, many, many Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms and, and martial arts academies and seeing how, how they're all differently set up. My home gym is Budokan Martial Arts Academy here in Long Island in New York. I train under Sensu Nardu Debra, if your paths have ever crossed. He, although he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, he is a major um, believer and he's a Judo black belt as well, but he, he instilled Judo from the very beginning. Yeah. Had incredible influences in my Judo. Uh, Professor Harry St. Ledger, who you may have encountered in, in your, he was on the Olympic team. I don't know if your paths crossed. Harry and I are great, great friends. He's, uh, he was on the U23 program years ago. I was the coach of the program and uh, I've known him since he was a little boy. Yeah. So him and his brother Gary would frequently come to my gym and they were both um, very, very strong foundationally before Harry moved out to Albuquerque. And I only had one meeting with Shintaro Higashi, uh, but he was a, <laughs> Just that one session of judo, I will never forget it. It was a big influence on my life. And so I've been training jiu-jitsu for the past 11 years. And this whole project, I'm writing this book, Business Jiu-Jitsu, and it's about the, the principles that we use and learn on the mat. And they have been so influential in my life and in my business. I've had a lot more success in the business world than I ever had as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, as always a casual competitor. But... I feel as if it perfectly, perfectly encapsulates what you need to do in business. You learn in that mat every night. So, so a little, a little, uh, a little background on me. Do you relate to this at all? Does, did, have the principles helped you that you learned in martial arts in your business? 
a thousand percent. But if I had to choose which one I'd rather be more successful in, in life or in sport, I probably would pick life. <laughs> but if you could if you could have success in both, then that would be the, the icing on the cake, which is what I'm which I'm embarking on now with my career. So uh, but yes, without question, you know, the sport of judo or just martial arts in general has made me who I am today. All of the same principles apply in life as it did in sport. And, you know, oftentimes what I tell my kids is that it's not whether or not you become champion or you win the gold or you become the best in the world. It's about that pursuit. And if you pursue it with passion, you pursue it with 100 percent of yourself, you will learn everything there is to, to know about how to succeed in life, because we know you can't quit. We know just because things aren't going well, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You've got to pick yourself back up. You've got to motivate yourself. You've got to learn from your mistakes. If you failed in business or you lost the deal or something didn't go right, you have to analyze why it wasn't successful. And you have to try to implement change so that the next time you are successful, right? You've got to grind. You've got to work super, super hard. I don't care what you want to succeed in. It doesn't come from sleeping and being lazy. It comes from being motivated, being disciplined, getting up every day and doing the right things, right? And, and, and reaching out to people and contacting whether you're trying to learn a new move, you get another, you know, you reach out and go to a camp or a clinic or learn from a different professor. And in life, if you need help, you go to an advisor, you go to a mentor and you ask them for help. You've got to constantly, you know, change your business, change your mindset and, you know, continue to climb to the top. And sometimes, you know, it's not always going to be a straight journey, right? You're going to get knocked down. You're going to fail. You're going to have setbacks, whether it's injuries, whether it's COVID from business. You know, there's so many parallels between life and sport. And those that are truly successful have learned from sport and how to translate it into life. Absolutely. I mean, a lot to unpack there. But the two things that I really thought about while you were talking was grit and then constant and change and improvement. And, and those things are explicit on the mat, explicit in martial arts gyms. They teach it. We're taught it. Right. When you go to business school and you're an Ivy League educated man, I mean, you're an educated person, they don't teach you explicitly the grit. You might learn it from failure, but a lot of people just fail. And in the business world, it's the same thing. You might learn grit because you're beat down and you come back and you beat down. But it, in my jujitsu practice, we're explicitly taught about the concept of Kaizen, you know, constant daily improvement. We're explicitly taught about Shoshin, beginner's mind. And had I not learned that in jujitsu, well, put it this way, I started jujitsu when I was 24. Before that, it was distant. You know, I'd already gotten right. through college and I didn't know anything about that kind of mindset. Right. Yeah, without, without question. I mean, you know, if you, if you, like you said, an Ivy League education or there's this theory and there's reality, right? And you can talk all the theory in the world you want. You can talk about all the best practices, but you have to be able to apply it to your business. And you have to learn because my business may be vastly different than your business and different than what they taught in school. Much like when you go in a competition, since they taught you how to do it this way, but that doesn't work on every single person. You know, you've got to adapt the technique. You've got to change the technique. Or you've got to do something differently based on what their counter was. So, yeah, there's a lot of theory and reality, and you have to get it by putting your feet to the fire and doing it and not being afraid to fail. Perfect, perfectly said. How, um, how did your education, the technical aspect of business, 
did you did you recall everything and were you able to apply the things that you learned in school directly to business years later or did you have to kind of relearn it and get re-engaged things like accounting statistics so you know I, I went to a proper school my mother was a my mother was a school teacher and yeah. so from day one I was taught education is very very important my father was an athlete he barely graduated high school. In fact, I think they just put him through because they didn't want to deal with him anymore. So here, here's your diploma, get lost. He started out as a meat cutter and working his butt off, you know, 12, 14 hour days in a chop shop, cutting ribs and, and cutting meat up, you know, and, and grinding. And then, you know, he eventually went on to become a firefighter. But what I learned from my father is I definitely learned the hard work and the grit and the toughness. And for my mother, I learned, use your brains, not your body, right? So I had a great balance with my my uh, my upbringing. And in school, I went to a, because I was so successful early, I went to a very, very, you know, a public school. And it was a very inner city school that I went to. It was a pretty tough neighborhood. Uh, it was Lynn, Massachusetts. So you look it up, it's Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. You never come out the way you went in. So you know, <laughs> yeah, I went to school not far from there. Um, I went to boarding school in Massachusetts, Cushing, not exactly the okay, same. Yeah. Right, right. Much different experience than Lynn, yeah. Massachusetts. So when I got to the high school age, my mom said, I want you to go to this St. John's Prep High School. And I said, I don't know what St. John's Prep is, but sure, I'll go to school. It's easy. And when I got to high school, I realized there's a whole other world out there of book smarts and, you know, um, <laughs> countless hours of homework and how to prepare for tests and write papers and all this stuff. So it was a great prep school. I absolutely hated it my first two years because it was so much work. But looking back on my career, looking back on my life, I thank my mother and my parents up and down because that was the best single-handedly best thing they ever did for me was to send me to that prep school because it did help prepare me for life because I had to balance you know, a father who wanted me to compete in the Olympics in judo, who wanted me to wrestle in high school, and who wanted me to do good academically. So when you go to wrestling practice in high school and it's two hours, and then you go right after that to judo practice, which is another hour and a half of training, you've got four hours after school of training going, and then you got to figure out how you're going to do four or five hours of homework that night as well, and you get out of school at three. So my high school schedule was so demanding um, that it helped set me up for life. I went on to Brown University and Ivy League education. I found Brown um, very easy because I had so much free time. You know, the difference between high school and college is you have three classes a day, which is three hours a day of school. Well, I was used to doing six hours of school plus four hours of athletics. All of a sudden, I found myself with tons of free time, but I was disciplined, so I never got behind on homework. I knew how to study because the prep school taught me how to study properly. So I found college relatively easy, you know, for me. And um, and obviously, I think that helped set me up for success in life. But I did take about 10 years off from the time I graduated to the time I started my real first job, you know, because I was pursuing the Olympics for so long. Yeah. Um, I was out of the work world. I was just running a club on the side, training and competing internationally, getting money from doing clinics and things like that. I actually didn't start my professional career until I was, you know, 30 years old. Wow. Well, that's an incredible transition point and competing at the highest levels of your sport, meddling, and then, that's a that's a rush. That's a high that is very difficult to replicate, uh, especially starting over essentially into the business world. Um, I I would I hesitate to say it's like you know it's that must be a, a traumatic in a way. 
You know, a lot of you know, there's the new there's the new um, uh, movie out with Michael Phelps about the post Olympic blues and the depression that athletes go through after after pursuing the Olympics. Even those that won multiple gold medals, you know, just because it is very traumatic because you have such highs in your life and you're so tunnel vision focused on winning at the highest level, getting up every day with a purpose, knowing who you are, what you're all about, what your day is going to look like, what your years, like you plan everything. So, you know, you're like, you know, okay, in January, I'm going to be in Austria. I'm going to be training. And then in February, I'm going to be in Paris. I'm going to compete in Paris. Then I've got a training camp. And then after that, I'm going to go to Germany, come back. I'll have the U S nationals. Like your whole year is laid out for you in advance. Yeah. And you get up every day with a purpose, knowing what it is you're trying to achieve. As soon as the Olympics are over and you retire from sport, you have to start all over again. You're a white belt all over again, but now you're a white belt in life. Right. Sure, you have a lot of these skills, but you really don't know. I mean, unless you went to school to be a doctor and you knew you were going to go into, you know, become a surgeon or, you know, open your own practice. You don't just have a generic degree. You don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. No one's ever told you. And that is very, very difficult to deal with. And people like Michael Phelps or other superstars uh, from the Olympic Games, they're lost. You know, they thought they should be set for life. But in reality, they just – I'm only 24 years old. I still have another 50 years or 60 years of my life left. That's, that's important to have some purpose. You know, and for me, I was fortunate that I found a job out of, out of the Olympics that was still kept me tied to sports and kept me tied to the Olympic movement because I was the manager of Olympic sponsorship for monster.com, which was at the time trying to help athletes find jobs post Olympics. So it was something near and dear to my heart. It was something I was passionate about. And so it, it, even though it was removed from sport, it was still kept me tied to Olympians and the Olympic movement. So I was excited about it. Um, unfortunately, after the dot-com crash and um, 9-11, you know, the company cut back on all of its sponsorships and things like that. I kind of got removed from sport in the Olympics because the sponsorship went away. So then I just became an internet marketing guy at, a, at an internet company. I wasn't really all that passionate about it, but I did learn a ton from my mentors in terms of what marketing is all about, what sponsorship activation is all about, you know, how to, what brand awareness. And, you know, I learned a lot of, in, you know, industry stuff that I could take to, you know, the business world. And then with my own dojo, and then starting my own companies and being involved in other martial arts related companies, I felt like my growth experience being in a professional work environment of a company that had, you know, thousands of employees. I understood what it was to be yeah. a member of a big, big company. And I really realized that I really wanted to be part of a smaller company that I could actually, you know, have a finger on the pulse and, you know, help impact some big decisions that came along the way. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've heard about your story and, you know, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out because you're a, a fixture in our, our small industry relative size to other industries and the path that you took from professional elite level athlete to the big corporate world to a small martial arts and then going off on your own to start your own business. It's, uh, I think that it's a story that people who aspire to, to be entrepreneurs need to hear. Uh, I need to understand how just how difficult it is to build that foundation. Um, I, in, a, in a past podcast you, you, you were on, you said something to the effect of all of the work that you did leading into your business career uh, in judo 
really helped grease the wheels for the introductions and all the people you learn from and being able to pick up the phone and make a call to all of the right people and all the right gyms. Um, but you put in the work over all those decades on the mats, going to train with people. I'm so fascinated by, um, you know, what, what makes the man. You were on the road, going to camps, going to training, going around the world, and you build up that bank account of life. Right. I mean, how important is that bank account of life when you're going to start that business? And you're like, who the hell do I call to sell my first mat? It, it's extremely important, you know, and it's extremely important to be an outgoing, charismatic, personable person that's just a true individual. You know, I think if, you know, I, I never was concerned about money. It's never about money. It's about, I've always found out that if you, if you help people and you genuinely care about other people and you put in the time and the energy and the effort and you're true to what you say you're going to do, right? So I'm a very honest business person. I tell you, I, I show you all my cards. Here's who I am. Yeah. Like me or don't, here's what I'm going to do for you, right? Here's how I'm going to help you. And hopefully well, by helping you early and giving you a start in your gym or in your career or in your sport or whatever it is you want to do, if I was able to help you do that and I gave you all of myself, then in turn, I expect later on down the road when you become a big, successful, you know, multiple, you know, owner of gyms, um, you'll remember what I did for you and you'll stick with me and I'll help you. And at the same time, if you need additional help along the way, you want to go start, some of these guys want to go start grappling events, you know, and, and running tournaments and things like that. Yeah. Well, they remember the day that I helped them open that first gym in their garage or in their small basement somewhere. And soon enough, the guy's running, you know, some international big tournaments now, but they stuck with you through and through because you were a loyal, good business partner that didn't make it about money, but made it about helping people achieve their, their dream. And if you treat business that way, I think that it's, it's easy. It's not, it's work, but at the same time, it's, it's fun. So that's an, that's a beautiful outlook on life. And I think it's one that's learned, especially if there was some, who was that person for you? I mean, who was that guy that was generous with their time that you maybe was an idol when you were growing up, maybe someone in business or, or, or judo. I mean, there must've been a guy. It was countless yeah. people, countless yeah. You know, I had Mr. Homa, a guy in Japan, you know, an older gentleman in Japan who, who just loved judo. And I remember when my dad uh, early on in my career said, you know, I want to send you to Japan for six months. Mm. I said, six months in Japan by myself? You know, like, come on, how am I going to do that, right? So this guy, Mr. Homa, was a friend. He was a, he was a Japanese guy, lived in Japan and had, a, had an apartment and hosted me. It has, gave me an apartment to live in and I trained in Japan for six months. And all I had to do every every week with him was on Sundays, I had to go to the health club with him together. And we worked out for an hour. We did Uchikomi. We did drills. We did stuff together on Sundays. And he helped sponsor my, my whole stay in Japan. And to this day, we're still very, very close personal friends, you know, friends of the family, friends with his kids. We send gifts every holiday. I had no money at the time. And the guy helped me immensely. You know, but I have five, six, eight, ten stories like that of people yeah. that took me into their homes, let me stay with them, fed me, gave me their car to drive to training. You know, the Troutmans in Germany was another one. I had Neil Adams in, in England, who's a, a two-time Olympic silver medalist from Great Britain. He's currently the voice of judo, probably one of the most well-known judoka in the world, Neil Adams. Uh, I had people time and time again that opened their door and helped me. And I felt like 
I wouldn't be where I am today if they didn't do that for me. And how can I not do that for others? It's amazing. You know? And as a coach, you've done that. I mean, you've coached some of the best. Travis Stevens, who's I think your business partner also. I see him is involved with the company somehow. And Kayla Harrison and Ronda Rousey. I mean, that also, the transition from being an athlete to being such a successful coach must also kind of fill a little bit of that void in between the, the business world. I know myself as a as the CEO of a business, I'm, I'm really a coach. Um, right. That's that's the, the biggest part of my role uh, is is mentoring my teams of all the, all these different teams. And so, did, did you find coaching rewarding? I mean, you must have. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just no. You know, you know what's you know what. So there's two different times in my life. So there was a time after Sydney Olympics in 2000 where I retired from the sport and I went into normal work life and I was coaching. But I had just come off a loss at the Olympics. I finished fifth. I didn't win a medal in that games. So mentally I had retired, but emotionally I hadn't. And I was trying to coach athletes. And it was very frustrating at the time because I was half in coaching and half still trying to think about whether I wanted to compete anymore. And so when I was – I sat on the sideline for two years trying to coach, but I was still training in the background. And that was a hard time for me to try to coach people because I hadn't reached – I hadn't quit the sport or retired from the sport 100%. So after, fast forward two years, I go and I win a bronze medal in the Olympics in 2004. Now I'm 34 years old. I know I'm done with, with sport. Now I can go 100% into coaching. And at the time, I was ready mentally, emotionally. I was in to coaching. Um, it was much easier to, to, to coach then because I knew I couldn't do it physically anymore. I had to live through my athletes. Yeah. You know, and that's when my coaching, you know, career got got started. That's when I started the U23 program, which all of those athletes you just mentioned, Harry and Gary St. Ledger, Ronda Rousey, Travis Stevens, Marty Malloy, Kayla Harrison, Nick Del Popolo. Um, I hand Michael Eldred, I handpicked 20 kids in this country to help. And I was their lead coach that took them around the world, you know, developmentally to you know, lower level tournaments. I brought them to training camps. I took them to the Olympic Training Center, and I showed them this is the path of excellence. This is how you become a champion. And I and I lived with them and, and traveled with them for you know four years until I became the national coach. But then those same same kids matured and they became our best athletes. So I really stayed with that group for about twelve years. It's unbelievable. And um, I'm reminded of a video of Travis Stevens that inspired me so much. I think it was like some profile of him and. He was coming down to New York, up and back from Boston, up and back on the train to come train with uh, John Donahar at the Hensel Gracie Blue Basement. And yeah. I, I was like, this guy is competing at the highest levels, and he's slugging it out back and forth. And, and it reminded me of my own journey because I, I'm, I've been a commuter for 12 years. I lived in New York City. I, my office was on Long Island and every day, up mm -hmm. and back, and up and back. And I still do that till this day. But uh, I, I was so inspired by him and also made me think of, of you and him. And I wonder if you've read the book Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight. It's, it's the story of Nike. If you, if you haven't read the book, Phil Knight started Nike with his track coach, Bill Bowerman, at the University of Oregon. He was, that was his track coach. And I just it, it reminded me as I was preparing for this interview, that's one of the best books ever written. And the the dynamic between Phil, who was, in his case, in his words, he was a mediocre track star, but he experimented on Bill's equipment. And now I see a parallel in our sport 
with you and Travis growing this phenomenal business, uh, Fuji Mats. By the way, when I started jujitsu 11 years ago, <laughs> we were only allowed to wear Fuji geese. That was awesome. the respect. And you can't really see, I don't wear this gi anymore, but it's- the, That's the, the original. This is the, this is the original. It's, I have about three of these and they all look like this. And this it, means a lot. That's 11, 12 years old. You're gonna, you know, I hear the same story from so many people that I still have my original Fuji Gi. I love it. I have been through so many Gi's and so many brands, but every Fuji Gi that I've ever owned, I have, whether it's retired or not. <laughs> and um, so it is an interesting, it, it does, you do have a lot of brand loyalty and you, they've built the Fuji brand itself. I know you came into it, but you started Fuji Mat and Facility Design. And as a businessman, when I see Fuji Mat, but with the facility design component, to me, that's brilliant. I mean, I think just 30,000 foot view looking at the, build, the business, I think that's what makes it an incredible business is that you also went to this facility design approach. How did that come together? You know, my partners, my partners and I decided that we wanted to be different. We don't want to just be a mat company. You know, we, we have so much experience and so much knowledge in and around building out gyms that we wanted to, we wanted to convey that in our brand and, and in who we are. Um, and what's what separates us from, from other mat companies. It's, you know, in, in, to most people, a mat's a mat, whether it's a rollout mat or a tatami style mat or a puzzle mat, a mat's a mat. But to us, it's not, right? It, it, it's, what, it's what it stands for. You know, first of all, I think it's a symbol of that you've made it in the sport. If you buy a Fuji mat, it's the highest quality you can get on the market today. It's also the safest product. The main yep. reason why gym owners are putting mats on the floor is to protect their students so when they get thrown down, they're safe. And in that instance, a mat is not just a mat because if you buy a cheap mat, your students will get hurt, right? So we 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 want to make sure that you get the right mat for your application. And again, it's not about a sale. If you come to me and tell me you're starting a business and you can only afford you know a thousand dollars for your matting, I'm going to tell you you're not ready for a Fuji mat. Go buy the puzzle mat until you have enough students. Then you can upgrade when you're ready to me. But you know. We have so much experience in martial arts of how a gym should flow, how a gym should look, how much mat space you need for a certain you know training session. Um, and a lot of customers come to us because it's new to them. It's their first, it's their first project, and it's a big project. They're going to spend a good amount of money opening up their new school. They just signed a lease. They want to do it right. So a lot of times they come to Fuji Mats because they're looking for our expertise yes. about designing the gym the right way and thinking about all of the little things that are needed. You know, some guys come to us and say, I want to do a cage. So why do you want to do a cage? Cause I want to train fighters. Oh, so you don't want to make money. You want to train fighters. Like what is it that you want to do? Are you trying to make money in this business or is it a hobby? Yeah. Because as soon as you put a cage in there, you just wasted all that space. And now you're telling me you've got a clientele that wants to fight. But if you want to be a businessman and you want to make money first, then let's keep the cage out of there. Let's put some wall pads up. Most of what they need to, to train on are just mats and wall pads, and then you can bring in the sparring coaches, but keep those guys separate from your main students. You know, so there's a lot of recommendations we give along the way, and it's not just about, hey, give me a quote on this many mats. Yeah. You know, we really want to get to know what it is you're trying to achieve, and then we'll help you build the gym that's right for you. Well, getting back to the, the concept of this book about principles, one of the fundamental business pieces of advice that I give to a lot of entrepreneurs that come to me is uh, they want to open up a store. 
and I say, well, you, I want you to think about having a beautiful sign for the front of your store. I said, I can't afford a sign. I'm just going to get a banner. I said, if you can't afford a sign, then you can't afford to be in business. You need to go save more money. And I think it's, it goes, it's a very similar thing when you walk into a gym in a facility. Uh, you want to have beautiful, clean mats, you know, that are safe and that people recognize. And uh, when I walk into a facility and I see Fuji mats, I know that that's a strong, incredible facility. You know, the new, the new project you did at the Upper West Side of Manhattan is unbelievable. Awesome. I mean, all the Henzo Gracie gyms you've done are, are, are top notch. But I love the one you did for Kenny Florian in, in LA. Marikai, that was uh, a beautiful aesthetic. I think that the aesthetic is so important. Is that, do you help them create the aesthetic or you make their vision come alive? How does that relationship work? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. Some guys come in knowing exactly what they want. They know the look they're looking for and they've already got it spelled out. Other people are looking for recommendations and asking us how to help. So yeah, the Upper West Side Academy, um, it was done by my partner, Patrick. And that place was so complicated, I can't even tell you. The basement <laughs> had so many weird bricks and stuff underneath that was um super odd but we we did a beautiful job there um we've done a lot of henzo's facilities and and don't forget it at the beginning when it all started and i came to henzo's gym and i saw what he had i said this is one of the best jujitsu places in the entire planet why do you have these mats on the floor and henzo said i love those mats they're just a vinyl tarp you know and i said man that's because you never had a good mat on your floor you just had the simple stuff the old school stuff and I remember when his manager came to me and said, hey, uh, Henzo's going to get this new rollout stuff. I said, why? He goes, well, he's getting it for free. I said, but doesn't Henzo want to have the best in his facility? Just because it's free doesn't mean it's good for Henzo. They yeah. said, well, tell me what you can do. So I said, okay, well, he's going to pay for it, but here's what he's going to do. And I promise you he'll love it. Yeah. So the first gym he ever did, we went in and we did it right for him. And, and ever since, he, he's done nothing but Fuji Mats. When did, when, what was the year that you uh, started Fuji Mat Facility Design? Six. So Fuji Mats and Facility Design was six years ago. Yeah. You have had some run. I mean, you can't turn on YouTube or watch <laughs> a tournament and not see it. It's, uh, it's an incredible feat that you have been able to take a small niche industry and have so much growth and success. I, and I must say, you know, I'm, I'm worried about our industry right now uh, with COVID. It's, it's, it's a crazy time. Have you guys, I, I know you said the home gym business, is that, has that been uh, busy over the past few months? So, you know, we weren't sure what to expect with COVID, right? Um, but the gym business, meaning mats, the mat business is really still strong throughout the whole thing. And I think a lot of the success, it's attributed to a couple of things. Number one, no doubt people want to build out home gyms, right? They're, do, they're doing their garages, they're doing their basements. They're doing small facilities where they can train with a couple of friends through COVID. And they have never stopped training those people. That's that's one group. The other group got a lot of money from the government, you know, or got almost free money from the government, not just the PPP loans, but the disaster loans as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying, we know we're coming back. I always wanted to redo my gym. I can get this loan at a very low interest rate, 1%. And let me just take the money and I'll rebuild my gym. So We've done a lot of gym renovations throughout COVID as well. So the home gym business plus, you know, the gym renovations have kept us afloat. And on top of that, like you said, um, you see Fuji everywhere. Well, that's because we talk about relationships, the importance of relationships in business, right? Well, 
the started the guy who founded and started BJJ Fanatics yep. is a student of mine. Michael Zenia. Is that am I pronouncing Michael that? Zenia. So so he was a student of mine, judo student of mine 15 years ago. And then he fell in love with jujitsu. Well, I was his first ever DVD project that he ever did because he lives in Massachusetts. He lives near me. So he and I did a DVD project together. It was the first one he ever created. And then from that, he, you know, went start, Travis started doing them and BJJ Fanatics started taking off. I helped them build a gym inside his studio and said, hey, here's your wall pads. Here's your mats. Let's get going. And lo and behold, now this thing is like everybody who's anybody has done a, a video with Zenga and either BGA fanatics, judo fanatics, or wrestling fanatics. And it thing's this giant conglomerate right now. But we were really smart about every single studio he's ever put together has Fuji mats, Fuji branding, BGA fanatics, judo fanatics branding. And now he's so darn big, he's doing basketball fanatics, baseball fanatics. He's got pro athletes doing all these tutorials online yeah it's just taken off but what's helped us is that while people are at home doing nothing they're buying dvds to train at home and all the dvds they're buying are on fuji mats with fuji mats branding everywhere so that marketing was just genius i hope you sold just an endless amount of rollouts to tommy's you know <laughs> 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 but in the first couple of weeks of COVID, my brother, I'm, I'm, I'm bunked up. I'm, I'm 35. I'm married. I have a baby. And I have a baby on the way. I'm living with my siblings, their wives and husbands. We're all under one house quarantining on Long Island at my parents' house. And my brother and my brother-in-law say, we want you to teach us jujitsu. Happiest moment of my life. I get, <laughs> I get a couple of Fuji mats, roll out. I think I got them on, a, on another site, not your yes, site. They yeah. arrived finally. We roll them out. We do our first class. The next night I say, you guys ready for class two? They're like, nah, we're over that. <laughs> <laughs> we're too sore. We're too tired. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm in contract to buy a house right now. I'm leaving Manhattan. I never thought I was going to leave Manhattan. I thought I'd be there for the rest of my life. You a lot of people. Yeah, it's crazy. So I'm buying this house in Long Island, and I've already scoped out exactly where my home gym's going in the basement, and my wife wants a yoga room in the attic. So I was like, that's it. We've got beautiful yoga flooring too. Trust me. We've got probably the nice we have nice tatami mats. Yeah. Super thin, extra dense, all the colors she wants for yoga. Trust me, that, that's the way you're gonna to want to go for that yoga studio. Yeah, we're dead. we're at a hundred, a hundred percent. First I gotta close. Hopefully I'll be calling you by January, February to put that in after I do a little work awesome. on that. But uh, no, this is a, it, it's such a it's such a great business. I'm so grateful for you uh, sharing your time. And, you know, and sharing with, uh, you know, the next generation coming up over here. Um, it's, I always try to tell younger people, you know, when you invest in people, really good things happen in mysterious ways. You just don't know. And um, the, my key is, yeah. You know, what's somewhat unique about our company also is that almost everybody that works for me or has a significant role in my company was also either one of my black belts or one of my students. Or, you know, is a martial artist who takes jujitsu or judo or, or has trained before. Like, you know, not all of them, but I'd say 80% of the people that work for me have trained before or, or came from, you know, under my system. That's, that's, why I, that's why you remind me of the Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight relationship and track. And I, I pray for the type of success, even a shade of the success. And you've already had so much incredible success, but... 
I truly believe that martial arts could save the world and you are doing a phenomenal job of getting, you know, the, the facilities out there for us to train and, and Michael Zania and Bernardo Faria. I mean, I can't believe what they've done in such a short amount of time. Uh, I, I, in all candor, when that first came on, I didn't, it didn't register to me that that could be the kind of business that they've grown it to. Uh, Jitsu was a competitor and I thought that anybody could come and eat their lunch, but they clearly, the way that they treat people and their connections in the industry is why they're having so much success. And I look back at some of their early videos and they just, they weren't that, they weren't great. They weren't done well, put it that way. It was a white belt video, but now I'm obsessed with their company. I mean, I'm <laughs> a fanatic. You know what? You know what? People didn't. They, they always thought that the quality. It's not. It, it's the quality of the instruction that's important. It's not the quality of the production that matters. The end of the day, the martial arts um, people, the the community, they want real. They want genuine. They don't want fluff. They don't want marketing pizzazz. They want to get right to the meat and potatoes. Show me what you know and teach me everything you know. And yeah. I think that's a mistake that a lot of like, you know, businessmen come into our industry from outside. And that's why you see companies like Reebok not having a lot of success in martial arts because they're, they're too much into the flair and the marketing pizzazz and they're not into the real, you know, who these people are. They just think because they're a big brand and throw money around, they're going to have success. But our community likes supporting its own community. And that's why brands that grew up with the sports end up being successful in the end. Look at Tap Out as a perfect example. Once they got bought out by a big company, what happened? Disappeared. Bye-bye. You yeah. don't see them anymore. Well, right? the best actor also passed away in all, in all fairness to, to their – Well, yeah, but, I mean, they did – They did. but where are they? Someone else could have yes. acquired them. A company know? named Authentic Brands Group, ABG – a brand uh, licensing house owns them now. And uh, you're right. right. And you're right about rock and uh, substance is everything. And, and that is so, that is so, that is exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, it's, it's, it's a perfect I remember we hired, I'll give you another example. I used to work for another company. Yeah. I helped build that company for 10 years. And we brought in an outside marketing consulting team to help us with the marketing efforts behind that brand. And, and it was this, this, you know, they, they knew everything about marketing. They were very, very sharp people, very nice people, but they were business people. Some of their clients, you know, they're talking about billion dollar companies and things like that. They came to the first martial arts convention with us to sort of get a feel for the market and see what's going on and that sort of thing. When they showed up, you know, all the martial arts guys are showing up in their t-shirts and their shorts and their sneakers, right? Or they're, you know, sometimes they're business casual, but most of the time it's pretty casual, right? Yeah. These marketing guys showed up with suits and ties on, you know, and everybody looked at our booth and said, Dude, where'd you bring, where'd you get, where did you get these people? Like, who are these guys? These guys don't fit in here. You know, yeah. they're trying to sell me something. And right away, you realize that our industry is different, you know? Yeah, absolutely true. A, a mentor of mine who I've only met two times, but someone who's been very influential in my business, he recently said to me, you know, you're winning by operating. And the next phase of your business that he wants to see from us is to win by building your brand. And I thought it was such incredible advice. It was so, it was jujitsu. It was, he was grinding his shoulder into my face and, and challenging me to make my business better. And, and I think you're describing a similar thing is that 
Uh, I've focused on the business fundamentals. That's what's made me successful. And this next phase of my career is going to be about building a brand and making a brand that people really feel connected to. And so right. uh, I admire what you've done because you've, you've accomplished that so beautifully. It's really Thank you so much. great. Such a great brand. I mean, I'm, I really am proud of this brand. How far <laughs> I, I've been there since the beginning of my, of my martial arts career. And it's, I, I had the very first pair of Fuji grappling shorts, Royal blue, and they've been passed down in my, dojo to other blue belts. Those and are the Kazan shorts. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, exactly, Kazan shorts. And this is, they must be on their third or fourth person by now. They just keep making their way around the dojo. It's incredible. That's awesome. I love those stories. Yeah, it's great. So what's next for the brand? Where are you taking this business? We're, 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 we're quickly going, going global. Um, we've got a huge demand right now in the Middle East. Um, Countries like uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia, we're just ship we're shipping stuff all over the world right now, fantastic. and which is fantastic, right? I mean, it's what a it's just logistically it's so hard, right? Because it's so the lead times are so long, and you know sometimes you're dealing with language barriers and things like that. But um, right now we're going global. Uh, the Fuji Sports brand, you know, to be honest with you, through COVID, we we really did have a hard time. The gear and gear business because of all gyms are closed. Yes. Nobody was going to the we, – we pretty much focus, you know, 60% of our business at Fuji Sports is gyms, yep. you know, school owners and stuff like that. So through COVID, because they were all closed, they don't need geese. They don't need rash guards. They don't need shorts. They don't need those things. And then the people at home, you already – how many geese do you need? How many rash guards do you need to train at home? You don't need anything new. So the gi and gear side of the business struggled a lot through COVID, and we're still – only at about 60% of where we were. So we still have a ways to go. So, you know, our focus is setting ourselves up for success come January. You know, we're going to, we're, we've been very disciplined in our approach. We've hired all of our staff back um, with the exception of two people, but that was by their, one was by their own choice. And one was that we're, we're redoing the way we do business. So we didn't need them anymore, but we've hired all of our staff back with the exception of two people on the sports side on the Fuji Math side, we've actually expanded our team. We've hired a new salesperson through COVID. We added an additional person. Um, but we're really trying to set ourselves up for success in 2021 because that's when we really think that everything's just going to go, you know, not back to where it was because, unfortunately, there are some gyms that have failed, right? There are some gyms that just couldn't stay shut down for four to six months and still pay their landlord their money and, and stay afloat. It's just not going to happen. So we understand that, but we do think that gyms are going to come back slowly, but surely we're already starting to feel it now. New York just opened today. So, you know, we're, we're slowly starting to see gyms come back. Some of our big customers, because we're an East coast based company, uh, we're at whatever warehouse in New Jersey. A lot of our customers are New York, New Jersey. They were shut down and hit the hardest out of this whole thing. We also yeah. ship a lot of stuff to Massachusetts. Massachusetts has been shut down just as long as, you know, New York, New Jersey. So, you know, those three states, now that they're opening back up, we're starting to see a pickup back in all of our business. So we're optimistic that come, you know, January for sure, things are going to go back similar to the way they were before. Excellent. God bless. And I, I, I truly hope that that's the case. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I don't want to take up any more of your precious time, but uh, I got some incredible insights today and some great sound bites for this project and this book. Um, 
I hope if you don't mind, I can call on you uh, down the road if I have a question about uh, anything that I might need to narrow in on. But um, I was I just, just going to tell you, feel free to contact me anytime for anything you need. Um, if you want, you know, a paragraph in the book or you want to talk about anything in more detail, I'm happy to elaborate on that specific point with you and yeah. create, you know, some content with you. Um, and hopefully I'll get to read it before you release it and maybe help give you a nice little testimonial. Yeah, I would, I would really appreciate that. I think it's going to take me about two years. I wrote a book a year and a half ago. This was my first book. Uh, this is it. And it was about the first 10 years of my business career and about all the fundamentals and the wins and most importantly, all of the losses <laughs> <laughs> because, oh man, have there been a lot of losses and a lot of tap outs, but, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, thank you so much. Hey.